Well, uh, we're talking today about having a heart like the Father. And I think that um, being a dad has now helped me understand my dad or dads in general, because, right, dads are weird and they do weird things. Especially like when you're a kid, you don't really understand them so much, right? Like I know, like when I was a kid, one of the weird things that would happen would be, it'd be like a Saturday afternoon, we'd be at the house and I'd walk by the living room and my dad would be watching some old movie and he'd be like, hey, go, come here, come here, come grab a seat, come grab a seat. I want you to see this. I want you to watch this with me. And I'd be like, I'd, I'd rather not, you know? And he'd be like, no, 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 come on, come on, come, you're gonna like it, it's gonna be great, right? And he would have me sit down next to him and we'd watch some old black and white movie with these two old guys. Looked like maybe it was World War II. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't have any sort of historical context, right? And I'm just watching these guys talk to each other. And I'm thinking, man, this is boring. And I'm watching it, right? And I'm there for a few minutes. And I'm like, all right, I'm here. My dad's excited about it. And then I look over and my dad's asleep, right? Just <laughs> on his chair, mouth open, sleeping. And I think, why are we doing this, right? Why am I here, right? What are we doing here? And so I would do what any kid does, right? And say, hey, let me make a move for the remote. Let me try to change it maybe to something that I would like, right? And then his dad senses would go off and he would hear me moving towards the remote. And he'd be like, oh, no, 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 this is, your, this is good. This is good. Check this part out. You're going to like this part. Watch this part. Look at this part. This is good. It's a good part. Ah, it's a good one. Good one. And so I would settle back down and we'd watch for a few more minutes. And I'd look over and he would be asleep again, right? Just out on his chair, right? And as a kid, I was just like, why, why does he do this to me, right? Why does he bring me? Why, why are we doing this whole thing, right? And then now I am a dad and I get it. Like I get it now, right? Like I, I love my kids. I want my kids around me. I want to share things with them. I want them to see the things that I've seen and loved. I want to share kind of the things that I enjoy with them. And I also really, really need a nap because I got these kids around all the time, right? Like I get it now, right? I get it, right? So like the actions of the father make sense when you have the heart of the father. And that's really what we're looking at today, right? Where Jesus is telling this story, really this story, where Jesus talks about having the heart of the Father. And really, a lot of things in our faith start to make a lot more sense when we have the heart of a Father. Now, our Heavenly Father, He chooses to relate to us in this way. He calls Himself our Heavenly Father. The God of the universe comes to us and relates to us as a father. And it's that kind of love, that kind of perspective that helps shape us see the world the way that God sees the world. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open up with me to the book of Luke chapter 15. Um, and if you don't, we also have these verses here on the screen. Luke 15, uh, starting in verse one, it says this, now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So let's take just a pause for one second. This is Jesus teaching to a large crowd, 
okay? And in this crowd are two distinct groups of people. Now, Jesus, uh, by his teaching, by his healing, by who he was, by his heart, he drew this large following of mostly what the Bible describes here as tax collectors and sinners, right? The tax collector being kind of in that day and age, one of the worst people in society, right? And sinners, people that are far from God, that have broken God's law. But interestingly, in this crowd, and often was, was the case with Jesus, is in the crowd with all the sinners and the tax collectors were the Pharisees and the scribes. These were the religious leaders, the religious teachers of the day. And they were there to kind of check out what was going on with this movement. Most of them were very skeptical of Jesus and what was happening. They saw the large crowds. They saw the effect that he had on people. They saw how he could do something. He could turn people who were far from God into followers of God, people who were seeking after God. And they were very unsure about all of this. They didn't necessarily like his methods. They didn't always agree with what he was teaching. And so they were there more as like a skeptic, as a judge to see what was going on. And in this story, the Pharisees and the scribes are actually grumbling amongst themselves, saying, this man, Jesus, he eats with sinners and welcomes them in. Like this man, Jesus, associates with the wrong kinds of people. And there's a mark of judgment against Jesus and a mark of self-righteousness, clearly from the Pharisees, saying we would never operate this way. And it's in this background, this crowd, that Jesus goes on to tell three parables. And each parable is um, kind of stands alone, amazing in its own right. Uh, but when you package them together, you see what Jesus is doing. Each parable is about something that's lost. The first parable is about a farmer who's got a hundred sheep and he loses one sheep and he leaves the 99 to go after the one that was lost. And he brings it back and he rejoices and he celebrates. And Jesus says, this is what heaven is like when one sinner turns from their sin and turns back to God, stops seeking their sin and starts seeking after God. And then he tells another story of a woman with 10 silver coins and she loses a coin in her house and she sweeps the house, turning over everything, searching high and low until she finds this lost coin. And then she tells her neighbor, I have found what was lost. And they rejoice and they celebrate. And Jesus said, this is what the angels do when one sinner turns from their sin and turns back towards God. And you see the pattern that Jesus is establishing. Something lost has been found and heaven rejoices. And then what he's doing is he's actually setting up a twist, a surprise ending with the third parable, the third story. So that's what we're going to look at today. Go ahead and go with me to Luke 15, chapter, or chapter 15, verse 11, down to verse 11. We're going to start this story. And he, Jesus, said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. 
and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So Jesus is telling this story of a man with two sons. The younger son comes to the father and says, Dad, give me my inheritance. Give me what's due now. Like, give me my money now. Your money that's coming to me, give it to me now. I'm done being here. I'm done being uh, your son. I'm done living this life, being part of the family. I want to go live my life my way. And he takes what his father gives to him, and he goes to a far country. And it says he spends all that money, all that property on reckless living. You can imagine what would go into the life of a young man who's just coming to a fortune, just spends it indulging in any pleasure and anything that he wants, thinking that this is what will lead me to happiness. This is what will lead me to fulfillment. This will be the good life. No rules, no responsibilities, me living for myself. And he gets to the end of his money and he gets to the end of that road. He runs out of money and then a famine hits that country. Wasn't expecting that. Wasn't planning that. Disaster strikes and he is broke. And so he has to hire himself out and go feed the pigs of a man who lives there. And he's so hungry that he's actually hungry for the slop that he's feeding the pigs. Now, remember where this story was told. This is Jesus teaching to a mostly Jewish audience in Israel. I mean, feeding pigs and longing after their slop, that's the lowest of the low. That's as bad as it gets. And imagine how these people are receiving it, the crowd, right? You have the tax collectors and the sinners thinking like, oh, that's, that's me. Maybe some of them have walked that and live that out, saying, yeah, I, I took what God gave to me and I live for myself and I've, I've chased my own happiness and I've, I've been there. I've come to my breaking point. I've come to the end of the road where I'm out of money and I'm out of options and I've got nowhere left to go. And probably the Pharisees in that crowd thinking like, yeah, tell them, Jesus, this is what happens when you live for yourself. When you turn from the Father, this is what happens. And then thinking, okay, where is Jesus going to go with this story? Let's look back. Verse 17. But when he, the younger son, came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So the younger son gets to the end of his rope, no money, hungry, living with the pigs. And he's saying, hey, there's no way my dad would accept me. There's no way my dad would forgive me after all that I've put him through, the way I've walked away from him, the way I've taken my inheritance, the way that I've cut him out of my life. Like there's, there's just no way. But maybe because I am his son, he would have pity on me and he would let me come back and be a servant because even the servants in my father's house live better than I'm living now. And then the man comes up with this whole apology. Did you catch that when you read it? He comes up with this whole apology. He's like, I'm going to go and I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And you can imagine 
as he gets ready for the journey home, him practicing that message, saying, okay, here's my apology, practicing the cadence, how he's going to say it. Maybe he's going to come to the father and, and, and kneel before him or just beg him, get on his knees. Like he's, he's practicing, here's how I'm going to approach my dad. I'm going to say these things and, and I got to get this apology right. And he, he works on it. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. The younger son practicing his apology returns to the father. And while he's still a long way off, the father sees him and he has compassion on his son. That's his son. It doesn't matter what he's done, taken the property, he left. He thought his son was dead, but his son's alive. And he runs after his son. And his son starts to give the speech, right? He says, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be cut. And he just cuts him off. And he wraps him in a hug and he says, put this robe on, put these shoes on your feet, put my ring on your hand. Let's kill the fat. Let's have a party. My son is alive. He's home. He's back. And they have this party. This is the way that the father sees the son. Can you imagine how the people in the crowd took it that day? The sinners and the tax collectors following this rabbi, like Pastor Roby said last week, the rabbi that thought, this is our rabbi. This is our guy. He's a teacher for the people. And they know how far they are from God. They know their sin. They relate to that younger son. They know they've taken what God has given them. They've taken the life, the blessings, the, the resources that God has given, and they've just lived for themselves. And they're at the end of their rope and they have nowhere to go. And they feel the same things that we all feel when we turn from God. They worry about going back home. They worry about rejection, overcoming the shame, the anger, the rightful anger that the father might have at what they've done. They're hoping that he would show a little bit of kindness and a little bit of mercy. And then the father just blows all that out of the water. Not only does he accept his son, not only does he start to hear the apology, he cuts him off. He says, you'll be no servant in my house. You're my son. And he restores him into the family and celebrates his return. There was a party for his return. I would imagine that a lot of the tax collectors and a lot of the sinners in the, in the audience were probably crying at this point, knowing what Jesus was saying, that they can come home that they can return to their heavenly father, 
that their heavenly father doesn't look at them and hold their sin against them, but actually is excited and sees them with compassion and joy that their son or daughter is coming home. And honestly, in the teachings of Jesus, like this is a beautiful story of God's love, like in credit, you know, roll credits, we're done in the story. Like this is a happy ending. The father and the son are restored. But Jesus specifically continues the story because the Pharisees and the religious leaders are there. And he talks about the older brother in the story. So go with me in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and he asked what these meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command. And yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came home, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So the younger son comes home, the father in his joy that his son is alive and well and back throws a big party and the older son is out working in the field for his father. He hears the commotion, asks the servant, what's going on? Says, oh, your, your brother's come back. And he's angry. Angry. Not thinking about his brother. Not thinking about what it means to have his brother back and, and the joy that is, what must have changed in his brother's life, what that, that means for his father, how his father must feel in this moment. No, 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 no. His brother's thinking about himself. He's back. He's back. My little brother that caused all this pain and suffering over these years, my little brother who's hurt our family, my little brother who's taken dad's money and just wasted it, my little brother who's just been living for himself, my selfish little brother is back and we're throwing a party for him? angry and he can't even go in the party. And then the dad hears about it, gets word that the older son's outside and goes out to talk to him. And he just gives it to the dad. He says, I've always obeyed you and you've never given me anything. And this, this son of yours comes home and you throw a party. How's the dad respond? probably more hurt than even when the younger son left. See, 
you're always with me. All I have is yours. This is not a zero-sum game. You, you're here, you're, you're home. Everything that's mine is yours. This is a good thing. This is a celebration. Your brother is back. Your brother is home. Your brother's alive. This is a day of celebration. And all the older brother thinks is no. This is going to cost me. He's hurt us too much. He's done too much. He doesn't deserve this. And he just compares himself. I've never got anything. He's bitter. He's angry. He's self-righteous. He's hurt. And he's mad at his father. Jesus tells this to a crowd of broken, sinful people and a group of religious leaders, Pharisees. What he's communicating to them is he's basically saying, Pharisees, you are the older brother. All these people who are far from God are changing their ways, turning from their sin, turning from their brokenness and seeking after God. And instead of celebrating this, you're angry about it. You're bitter about it. You're saying that it's not fair, that it's not right. And you are holding these people back. And you are against these people turning around and seeking after the Father. Say, don't you, don't you get it? Can you think of how the Father feels? His son, who is dead, is alive. His son, who was lost, is found. Like, don't you love your brother? Don't you see that this is a day of celebration? What Jesus is communicating here is that God's children embrace God's compassion for the lost. God's children embrace God's compassion for the lost. What we see from this story and really throughout the scripture is that God often calls us a family, that we are adopted as sons and daughters into his family. And one of the attributes, one of the family traits that we have when we become part of God's family is a love for the lost, a love for the lost, those who are far from him, who are broken, who have messed up lives, who have done bad things, but now are trying to seek after God. We have a love for those people. But for you and me, that can be challenging sometimes. Because the longer that I've been a Christian, the longer that I've walked with Jesus, that I've been in his church, that I've been in community, the more my life gets cleaned up, the more I start to see myself in the Pharisees rather than the prodigal. And honestly, when I read this story, there's a few observations that terrify me as a Christian, as a churchgoer, as a pastor. Here's, here's a couple things that we can pull out from this story that are terrifying. One, this story shows us that we can be doing the Father's work and not have the Father's heart. The older brother was working in the field for his father. He stayed. He was doing the job, being the responsible son, doing the things that needed to be done, but he didn't have the father's heart. You and I can be doing the work of ministry, 
teaching, going out to the soup kitchen, giving things away, doing the work of ministry and not have the Father's heart. We can be in the Father's house and not have the Father's heart. The older brother was at home. He was, near, he was with the Father every day. Spent his life close to the Father. We can be at church every Sunday. We can be in community groups or Bible studies or service teams every week. We can be around people who know God and seek after him and love him. We can do all these things and still not have the heart of the Father. And lastly, and this is probably the most terrifying, we can be obedient and not have the Father's heart. The older son listened to the Father, did what the Father asked, but did not have the heart of the Father, did not have love for his Father. What we see from this interaction is that the older son saw his father as a means to an end. And he said, this is my path and I need to obey my father. And one day I'll get all that's, I'll get this property. This will be my life. I can live a good life. And he just used the father and obeyed the father and did the right things so that he would be blessed by the father. And we can do that we can see our faith as a list of right things that we need to do and a list of wrong things that we need to avoid and not once actually have true love for the Father or have the heart of the Father. And we can be on the outside looking in even as obedient, quote unquote, good Christian people. This is terrifying. Because if I can't judge my relationship with God based on all the things that I do, how am I supposed to know if I'm in the party or out of the party, right? Because this story ends with the older brother left out in the field, not in the party. And I believe Jesus does that intentionally to tell the Pharisees, you're not in the family. You're not in the celebration. So if I can't look at my life and say, hey, I'm doing the right things, therefore I must be in the family, how? How do I know if I am in the family, if I'm in the Father's house? Well, a couple things we can do. We can ask some diagnostic questions to ourselves, okay? I've come up, some, up with some uncomfortable diagnostic questions that we can ask ourselves to really dig down deep into the heart level of what is our heart? Is it similar to the Father's heart? Here's a couple things. First one, do I see the lost as a burden an inconvenience, or am I to sacrifice deeply in order to reach the lost? When I'm in opportunities to be around the messiness of lost people who are far from God, do I see it as a burden and an inconvenience? Like, oh, here we go. Got to talk to these people about Jesus. Oh, yeah, come on in, you know. Sure, yeah, join our group, yeah. Oh. Or do I see it as something that, man, this is something, these are why I'm here. These are the people that I'm called to sacrifice everything for. Like use my life, spend my life that they may know Jesus. Because whether we like to admit it or not, 
I, we, we love comfort. And it's, it gets harder and harder when you start living for Jesus and living in the ways of the kingdom. And then you're around people who are living in a totally opposite way. It gets harder and harder to have that compassion and that grace. And it becomes a lot easier out of our own comfort to just be like, look, it, it would just be better if you just don't come next week, right? Like it would just, just, just stay home. Maybe this group is not for you. Second diagnostic question. Am I more broken and urgent for the lost or am I more offended and angry at the lost? When there are people who don't know Jesus and don't follow Jesus around me and they're acting like they don't know Jesus and they don't follow Jesus, what's my response? Is it one like the father of compassion, kindness, graciousness, hey, they, they don't know yet. They don't know the Father. They don't know what it's like to follow Jesus. They don't know the ways of the kingdom. Or do I respond by being offended and angry that they would ruin what I have going on and that they would act that way in front of me and in front of my kids? Where's our heart? Last one. Do I see myself as morally superior to the lost? Or am I constantly reminded that I need God's grace and the sacrifice of Christ just as much as they do? Do I see myself as morally superior? Or am I reminded of where I was when Jesus transformed my life? Because again, the longer we walk with Jesus, our lives start to change and we forget who we were, just like them. This is one of my great joys, working with teenagers so regularly, is that I'm always reminded of how far I've come <laughs> and what I was like. I mean, you hang out around a 13-year-old or a 17-year-old and you see these things pop up in their lives and they act a certain way. And the first response in my heart, in my head is just like, man, just what, what are you doing, right? And then the second thought is, I remember when I was that age, right? In the same way, when we are around people who don't know Jesus or are new to the faith, they'll say things or do things or act a certain way and we forget that we were just like them. And we start to think that our lives are cleaned up and better because we've done something and that we've earned it and that we're just like special people. But we forget that it was God's spirit within us, renewing us, that it was God's word teaching us and drawing him, drawing ourselves to him, that it was God's people, his church, shaping us and informing us on how to live, teaching us wisdom and guiding us and, and, and shaping our actions and transforming us. Like, Sometimes I wish I could just go back for all of us, right? Like we could just rewind the clock, maybe 10 years, 20 years, and you could just step into a day in your life and remember how far you've come. We forget, we forget what we were like. And it's a question for us to think when we're around the lost, man, am I, do I consider myself superior? Or do I remember that it's Christ who saved me and it's Christ who will save them? Here's why this is important. This is really important 
for us. Because if our city is to be transformed by the gospel, whether we like it or not, we are the gatekeepers of that. And our heart towards the lost is a key component in the renewal and revitalization of our city. There's this pastor, uh, Kent Hughes, writing on this story, the story of the prodigal son. And I love it. He says, what if when the younger son was on his way home, the prodigal was coming home, what if the first person he encountered was the older brother instead of the father? What would that conversation have been like? He comes home walking up in the field. The older brother meets him. He says, what are you doing here? He probably has to list all the things that he's done wrong. He's probably reminded of all the ways that he's let down the family, all the stupid decisions that he's made, all the harm that he's caused. He feels rejected. He feels shamed. And the question is, does he even get to see the father? Whether we like it or not, we're here. We're in the Father's house. Maybe some of you have spent your whole life, you've known the Father, you're here. You're like, you're, you've grown up in it, right? Maybe some of you said, no, I was lost. I was the prodigal. I was there, but, but my life has changed and I'm here now. Well, now we're all here and we are gatekeepers to the Father. And our heart towards the lost, we are God's emissaries, Christ's ambassadors to our community. And our heart, towards the people around us is what people think God thinks about them. And so if we show up in these spaces around lost people and our heart is, how could you be like that? What are you doing? If it is shame and judgment and self-righteousness, if it is avoidance and separation and keeping people at an arm's length, then their impression is that is exactly what God thinks of them. But if our heart towards the lost in our family, in our workplace, in our school, in your building, your neighborhood, your community, if our heart towards the lost is one of the Father, where we see them with compassion and joy, and we say, these are God's people. They're his sons and daughters that have not yet come home. And we seek after them and chase them down and we show them love and we invite them and we invite them and we offer them and we bring them back. Man, that has the power to transform our city. There's this quote from Charles Spurgeon that I love that talks about our heart and our responsibility as Christians towards those who don't know Jesus. He says this, he says, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions and not let one person go unwarned and unprayed for. It is our job to have the heart of the Father in our community we are the ones responsible for seeking out 
the younger brother and bringing peace. And Jesus tells this story in the context of Middle Eastern culture. They would have understood back in, in the day that he told it in Israel that it was the older brother's responsibility. In a rift like this in the family, the older brother should have gone and found his brother and brought him home and reunited him to the father. And he did it because he was too busy thinking about himself. Man, Bonhoeffer says when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. The life that we are called to live is to not is to, to hold our lives in open hands to the Lord and say, God, we are here for you. We are your instruments to bring love and peace and mercy to our community, to our city. And whatever the cost it is to me, I'll, I'll pay it. I'll pay it. Why? Because we know what Jesus has done for us. That he's laid down his life for us. That he has bought us in eternity with him forever in his kingdom. That's perfect and without end. And we know that this life will end, but that eternity will last forever. So we can, we can live our lives differently. We can hold our lives loosely. We can spend our lives for the sake of others because we know that this is not our home and this is not our kingdom, that we don't belong here. We're just visiting. And one day we'll be home with the Father, and hopefully with a lot of our lost brothers and sisters there with us, right? In just a minute, I'm going to pray. Just a minute, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for two people. Pray for um, the first is the people, when you hear this story and you say, yeah, that's me. I'm the older brother. That's not my heart. That's okay. God can change that. Um, and I'm gonna pray for you, pray for us, that we would have the heart of the father, not the heart of the older brother. And the second person I wanna pray for is as I read the story, you hear the story, you think like, no, I'm, I'm the guy out in the far country and I'm at the end of my rope and I don't know what God thinks of me or what it looks like to come back to him. And I just wanna take a minute, I wanna, I wanna pray for you remind you that Jesus' story is for you as well. God sees you with joy and compassion as his son or his daughter that he wants to come home. So I'm gonna pray for you too. So would everyone bow their heads, close their eyes, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray that your spirit would be near. Lord, that you would shape our hearts, our minds. Lord, you would break our hearts for the community around us. Lord, I pray that you would bring even people to mind that at great cost we would invite into our lives. They might bring their mess, they might bring their trouble, their struggles, but God, that you would give us the strength, that you would give us the patience, that you would give us the courage, that you would give us the love to go and do that. And Lord, that we would see our city transformed by love, by the love that you've shown to us, we would go and show to others. And I pray, Lord, for the people in this room today who feel far from you, feel like they want to come home, but they don't know how. Lord, I pray that your love would overwhelm them. And if that's you today, just as everyone still prays, I just want to, encourage you to pray along with me this prayer. 
It's prayer seeking forgiveness, seeking restoration, asking to be part of God's family. Father, I'm a sinner, far from you. I lived for myself for too long. Lord, I ask that you would forgive me of my sin, that you would send your spirit to live within me. And Lord, you would welcome me into your family and into your kingdom. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe that you raised him to life. Lord, I ask for my friends here in this room that made that prayer, God, that you would give them mentors, give them people to support them and encourage them as they go. Lord, that you would give them a hope and a peace that they've maybe never felt before and they would feel it. And Lord, that your presence, that you would draw near to them, especially today, but moving forward as they go. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.